Well, we talked on this podcast a couple of days ago about how the governor's briefings were lacking in substance, and then it came on yesterday with a ton of substance. We're here to talk about it. It's This Week in the CLE, the news podcast from Cleveland.com. I'm Chris Quinn, editor at Cleveland.com, along with my colleagues, Laura Johnston and Chris Bernowski. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Let's get right to it. It's Friday, and the faster we move through this, the faster we get to the weekend. When will Ohio daycare centers reopen in the coronavirus pandemic? We were supposed to learn about this Monday, and it got postponed because Governor Mike DeWine said he wanted to have more science and he wanted to be assured about safety. So on Thursday, he announced when they would open. And a few of the rules, I I don't know that we heard a whole lot that would make us think that that the extra time brought about good restrictions. So, Chris Warnowski, what's the uh, what's the deal on daycare centers? Yeah, so some relief finally for parents who are either sick or their children are headed back to work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the governor said yesterday that daycares can uh, open on May 31st after more than two months of being closed. Uh, but there's a lot of rules they're going to have to abide by when they, they reopen. Um, they can have up to nine preschool and school age kids uh, in, in a class at one time. Uh, and there's a six-child limit for infants and toddlers. And uh, one of the things that staff is required to do is they, they have to wear masks and greet the kids at the door and take their temperature before they come into the building. And anyone with a temperature of 100 has to go home. So they can't come in. You know, I uh, he seemed the governor seemed to say yesterday, that we're not sure about this because no one's ever Mm -hmm. done this. And it kind of followed up on what he said Monday about the safety of the kids has to be paramount. I need to know what I don't know. And I almost read yesterday is, look, we have to open them. I know we have to open them. We're going to put in some guidelines and we're going to study it closely because we're not quite sure. It was a, it was a remarkable candid uh, presentation and I salute him for trying, but this is a little bit scary, right? Well, I mean, we have had some daycares working in some capacity throughout all of this. If you remember there, there were some daycares that got special designations to operate in order to provide childcare for essential workers. And, and, and so, you know, I, I think there's, there's a little bit of a blueprint, but you know, I mean, there's been a lot of pressure on him for this because it, it, it does it does put them in a weird position as they try to reopen the economy and you know you know what do parents do with their kids while they go to work so you know i i you, you mentioned in the onset of this that you know that that it didn't seem like you know this was something that needed to delay another day for them to consider another week to consider you know my guess is that this one of the things that was they were sort of trying to sew up before they made this announcement was what they were going to do with the CARES Act money, the governor said the state's going to use $60 million of that money uh, to help pay for safety measures and to offset the cost of child care and maintain these small class sizes. Which is yeah. terrific. And then when he was asked a question about, is this going to leave kids out? He, he interrupted the reporter because before they could finish the question, so he said, no, 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 that's not the intention. And, and he talked a bit about the, the, uh, the CARES Act money. Laura Johnson. I was just going to say, this is, you know, DeWine wants to be a case study. He wants Ohio to show others how it's done, but we don't really have a track record yet. And, you know, I'm just, my kids are a couple years out of daycare, but um, they, 
I think we've been to four different ones uh, over my motherhood. And it's going to be interesting to see how all of them can put this into place and and how the kids react to it and how the teachers react to it. Mary Kilpatrick has a story that came out this morning. She talked to the Y and a couple other childcare centers that this is counterintuitive to some of the training that these teachers have had because, you know, they get down real close to the kids. They make eye contact. They are touching them a lot. And we're, we're going to be the opposite of that. So it'll it'll be interesting to watch. And what does that do to the psyches of, of young children when suddenly there isn't that closeness and that intimacy, which I think most kids like? The one thing that, that is not stated but is always in the background of any reopening, more people are going to get sick. I mean, if you have six and nine kids together in a room, it will transfer. If somebody who has it, who's asymptomatic, We'll transfer it to another kid. That kid will go home. More people will get sick, which means more people will die, which has always been acknowledged. This is inevitable, but it's it's a bit scary. I mean, watching the numbers for the next three, four weeks is going to be very interesting to see how much they go up if they spike or if it's a if it's a slow pace. And daycare has always been just like a transfer of germs. You know, you walk in and there's like a big sign, like your kid has been exposed to pink eye or light, or, <laughs> you know, and, and then you can't bring your kid for the next day. And it's hard because you know, this happens, but like the good news, the good news is when your kid goes to daycare, then they don't get sick once they go to school. But yeah, so it is, it's a Petri dish. It'll be interesting. The, 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 this does argue that for as many people who can continue to work from home, they should. Because if the kids are mixing and bringing it home and they have a parent that doesn't leave the house, at least it contains it in that house. Uh, and there are a lot of office jobs, as, including ours, that we've learned we can do from home. It would be interesting to see if people adhere to that. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. When will Ohio pools, gyms, tennis clubs, and campgrounds reopen? Mike DeWine had promised that he would offer some some clues on the outdoor openings and Thursday we got a whole bunch of them Laura and I know you were <laughs> elated when you heard pools this was just like bang 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 like great news after great news there was texting going on with moms with my sister with the friends and everybody was just kind of blown away that this is all happening so fast after waiting so long to hear so here's your rundown campgrounds will open May 21st horse racing can open May 22nd gyms fitness centers Tennis clubs, pools can resume May 26th. That's right after Memorial Day weekend. Uh, day camps uh, can open May 31st, same day as daycares. So um, there, there's your summer fun right there. And it's the, kind of – go ahead. The, well, the key is they said they've put together a list of protocols, like for gyms and, and things like that, but that they would publish by, I think, the end of today. Right. And that's that, – those are kind of key. Like. I, you know, look, tennis clubs, that's easy. You know, there, but people, maybe not in doubles, but in singles, they're plenty distant. Campgrounds, that's not going to be that hard, except maybe in the restrooms. But when you get into gyms and in particular pools, you know, that's, that presents the same kind of challenges that it always presented. People breathing heavily out, out in, in crowded area where people are inhaling heavily. I just, how do you do that in a pool? Or, or in a gym, unless you limit the number of people that can be in there at any one time. I am really interested to see these regulations and also to see what the cities and the, you know, the pools are going to say about it, because we're we're looking for a reaction. I, one of um, 
Chris's reporters, Kaylee Remington, believe is checking with cities that already said they're shutting down their pools because they couldn't get them ready in time or it would be too much of a headache. All I, I just <laughs> you know, of- well, you know, that's just bogus, man. <laughs> Both my kids worked as lifeguards at the Cleveland Heights pool. I mean, you open the faucet; they're already trained as lifeguards. <laughs> you know, they're sitting home. You will not have problems staffing that pool if you want to open it. I think that cities that are seeing their income tax collections plummet, looking for well, ways that to is save money. A really well, good point, but that's also a valid reason not to do it. You know, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, every community is going to be suffering economically in some way. But I think, I think cities were expecting that if this way, if we waited this long, that then it would be like, okay, at the end of June, you know, for the 4th of July, you can open. And then they're like, okay, that's a month and a half of pool time. We're not going to worry about it. But to get this announcement on May 14th, that they can open in 12 days, I think everybody's jaw was dropping. And so it's going to be really interesting to see if they can offer swim team or swim lessons. If they, you know, hand you a Clorox wipe and you walk in and say, wipe down your own chair. If they limit it and do some kind of reservation system, if they close the slide, I, I don't know how they're going to react. To but, but the question I have is if you're in the water, <laughs> you know, you're not in a pool. How do you enforce a six foot limit? And uh, good you know, question. And, and if you're active in the pool, you're breathing heavily and now, you know, if you're a loud mouth, we now know that your stuff <laughs> hangs in the air for eight, eight minutes. So I, I just that one, I can't wait to see the protocols. And look, you've seen in the gyms, the line of treadmills or the line of stationary bikes. They're pretty close together. And so, you know, you're huffing and puffing if you're doing that right. Yeah. How is that not going to transmit when, I, you know, nobody wants to wear a mask. When they're no. exercising, it's no. it's just not, you get all sweaty and it gets difficult. They're going to have to close, you know, close some of the machines in between. The good thing with gyms is they've always had those cleaning stations. I mean, people are not always good about it, but you're supposed to wipe down your machine after you use it. So, and they're grown ups. So like, I, I feel like if you are going to go to the gym, you need to take that responsibility to clean up after yourself and be responsible. The pool is free for all. And this is going to be really interesting. Yeah. yeah. The, I mean, the problem is, is that, you know, it, it's, you say we're grownups, but you, <laughs> you see every day on the internet, a new video of grownups acting like petulant children. So, so, you know, I, I have to be honest, I, I do not have much faith that, you know, without restriction and oversight that people are going to really, you know, care about this. Like, like they're going to have to say like, you know, you have to have only 10 people can be in this pool and somebody has to be there to say, number 11 can't come in here. Well, the other thing is a lot of people in the last 10 weeks have found exercise outside of these areas and the bike shops are all out of bikes and you see them outside. I mean, it's been a real renaissance of outdoor recreation. So maybe the demand won't be quite as high as it was, because if you're into fitness, you're not going to sit for 10 weeks waiting for your gym to reopen. A friend of mine pointed out that like one of the one of the protests for opening gyms involved a bunch of people doing exercises outside of one of the state houses. And he said, aren't you kind of making the point that gyms don't need to be open if you're exercising? (laughs) And it's like, yeah, exactly. Like, why are we opening these things? Just go outside, you losers. Well, I'll be interested to see the protocols today. We'll have a whole slew of stories about each of these protocols as they get released and the work groups, what they recommended. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. 
When will the Ohio Bureau of Motor Vehicles reopen in the coronavirus pandemic? This is a big one because everybody that's had a tag expire or a license expire has been out of luck. And the state has kept saying, we won't cite you for this, although they can still pull you over. And you have a 90-day window beyond the reopening to, to catch up. This affects my wife, who's, whose license is now expired. So, Chris Warnowski, what is the deal? When will they reopen? So, Lieutenant Governor John Houston announced yesterday that the BMVs can reopen on May 26th. And uh, one of the things that he, he talked about, and, and which is actually a very smart thing to say to people, is, is he wants everyone to continue to use online services as much as possible. And the state's going to, like you said, is going to continue to let pe- to let people who have expired registrations and license maintain them, so they won't have a, a, an initial rush on the offices the first day they open because people are worried they're going to get pulled over. Now, how effectively they communicate that to people, or if if people are going to hear that, you know that that remains to be seen. So, you know, we can probably expect at least some, you know, some rush of people on day one. All right. There are two two elements to this that, that I don't think he mentioned. I sometimes get distracted in these briefings. One, in a previous briefing, he had said that they would have appointment-based or, or online. He called it an online check-in, which he seemed to be differentiating. It's not quite an appointment, but it sounds like you would get a rough time. You would check in and maybe there's a handful of other people at that time that also show up. He didn't mention that, I don't think, yesterday. The other thing that is out there is this was the year that you had to convert to the secure license if you wanted to use your license to get on planes and things. Mm -hmm. And you have to jump through a whole bunch of extra hoops. Two different people at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles have to look at your documents and sign off on them. I went through this last fall. It's a time-consuming process that backs up the line. And he didn't mention any more delays on on the deadlines for that either. I um, I'm a little bit curious to see did they get the appointment system put together? What is the deal with the secure licenses? And I don't know. Maybe we could ask Laura Hancock to ask that question today in the briefing. Or I guess there isn't one today, so maybe next week. Right to your second point, I believe the federal government did issue a, a delay in that at some point. Um, I'm not clear on the dates or, or whatever, but I do remember reading something about that that they were going to allow people to to push that off. But I, you know, I don't know that they said anything more specific beyond that. As and as far as the other point, they did say previously that they the state is developing an online check-in system. They called Get in Line Online. That should be operational by the time the offices reopen on May 26th. But let's hope it's a little more reliable than the state's unemployment website. And, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this could be a long-term benefit of the pandemic if the Bureau of Motor Vehicles sets up a much more orderly system. You know, when I went to do my license uh, last fall, you know, every time you go into that office, it's a great melting pot of of Ohio, but it's not really well organized. They don't really have enough people working and, you know, it's a crush of bodies. And so maybe this will be a positive that comes out of this. We'll have to see. It's this week in the CLE. Will Ohio let people play in baseball and softball leagues this summer? So it's another one of the announcements that came out Thursday that I don't think we had had telegraphed to us it was coming. And it raises some interesting questions about crowds. Laura Johnston, what is the deal with leagues? 
Yeah, this one was really unexpected. Uh, they lumped uh, them in with gyms and rec centers and the no-contact sports that includes baseball, softball, tennis, the ultimate social distancing sport. They can restart May 26th. The thing is, a lot of leagues had already canceled for the summer. So I know our little league canceled, and I already emailed them, asked if they'd reconsider, and they're like, no. So uh, task forces are still studying the contact sports, football, soccer, hockey but you know if you want to golf i mean you've been able to do that the whole time too but but baseball requires 18 players right nine on each side minimum and we have a rule in ohio (laughs) against (laughs) gatherings of 10 or more people so i i don't know does that mean that on the 29th i think the expiration date is that that we will no longer have the the prohibition against people gathering in groups he's never said anything like that and they seem bent on making sure we don't have that kind of crowd because that's where the coronavirus goes nuts so how does that work if you got 18 kids playing a baseball game isn't that a gathering that would be in violation? Right, and talking about parents who are coming to bring them and or spectators and the same thing you could say about pools, like you're not going to limit it to 10 people. So uh, this is a good question to ask Mike DeWine next time we get there. Like what is up with the mass gathering rule? I know that a friend of mine said um, she knows of a league with kids and they're going to have some really strict rules, like no high-fiving um, among the players and the coaches. The umpire is going to stand behind the backstop, I think, uh, to give some room between the batter and the catcher. I, but but oh. if I get a hit and I'm on first base, there's the first baseman there. I mean, right. it's there, like, no, <laughs> you can't stay six feet away from these people all the time. Going to no. be a lot of bag bag calls at, <laughs> and <laughs> and, a, and a lot of stolen bases. It sounds they're, like. And think about it, they're going to have to bring their own bats unless they're sanitizing it in between every time and their own helmets. So. Again, we're waiting to see these regulations and protocols, what they come out and what the rules are. Yeah, and look, it's it's really good that they're trying to do this because people are going stir crazy. You know, that's that's the reason to argue that even if the budgets of cities are cramped, they should try and open their pools to give people something because everybody's lost their recreation. And kids being able to go out and run around on the, you know, you're you're your kid plays hockey, Laura, and I'm sure that when he goes and he works out and plays hockey, he's less rammy when he gets home. And that makes your <laughs> life easier. The problem all along. Like, <laughs> I'm not in sports right now. Yeah. I, you know, and so, I mean, we'll have to see what the response is for this. Uh, and I know Chris doesn't believe in grownups. Maybe grownups will have a, a better time with their like, you know, league on the lake with their beer league softball and, and baseball this summer maybe they'll just be pickup games like in you know way back in the old days where kids just played on the sandlot i don't know okay this this week in the cle will ohio casinos racinos and water parks open this summer as part of the announcements thursday of everything that will be opening and very shortly to give us the summer mike dewine and john houston were very specific about some things that are not coming back chris ranowski what did they say yeah, uh, Granny will not be going back to play the slots. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, so the state's 11 casinos are going to stay closed for a little longer. Uh, but hor- horse racing is actually going to resume on May 22nd. Um, but without but, spectators. But without spectators. And the, but I mean, this is kind of a big deal. Uh, the state, the state has estimated that it's lost about $230 million in cash for the year. Uh, after the governor ordered uh, the casinos to close on March 14th. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see 
how how casinos look like what they look like when they you know figure out how to distance people in the casinos because as and we were talking about earlier in the podcast about about sports and baseball when you look at things like blackjack tables and and you know texas hold'em tables you know there's there's in, in casinos, there's not a lot of space between people in those. Things. No, so and I, I don't know how you deal with that? You can't play cards with somebody who is six feet away from you. I right. mean, it's just, I, you know, and look, Las Vegas has a lot on the line here because this is their whole thing. I, you got to think that there, there are smart people in that industry that are working on this there to try and figure it out. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's yeah, and, video and or something. They're, I mean, look, they're a cash, they're a cash rich business. So, you know, I think, you know, more than more so than a lot of businesses like small restaurants and stuff, casinos have the ability to, you know, research and and innovate and actually spend money to figure out how to do this properly. Now, you know, whether they're willing to cut into their own profits and do so is another story. So but, you know, they're going to have to weigh the balance of is it worth staying closed or, you know, do we reopen but spend, you know, a hundred million dollars figuring out how to how to fit our casino to to actually be safe for people. Well, and then will people go back? The other one that uh, they were emphatic about, and this is a little bit unusual, is water parks. So mm-hmm. while pools will reopen, water parks, they're still saying no. And I don't know, I suppose it's because the water parks are so crowded and it's, it's like Cedar Point and it might be harder even to regulate crowds. I haven't been to a water park in Ohio. Laura Johnston, you have. Is there any yeah. way you can enforce <laughs> social distancing? Um, no, I mean, I don't think so. I think it'd be hard. I, I think a lot of them are the slides. So I don't know if you're going to be wiping those down. I think that would be a big issue. Cause but but don't just, the slides have like chlorinated water going they down? They do, them all the but time? you touch the sides. You know, that's not always, that's, those aren't wet parts well, and the issue is uh, the lines. So, when, oh, good point. So, yeah. it's it's not when you come down the slide; it's when you're going up the slide. And you know, usually, I again, I'm like you, Chris. I haven't been to a water park since I was a kid. Um, this is why you I, have, I don't have kids, have look, kids so that I could go to water park. Right, <laughs> but you know, it and and so you know, when you when you climb up those stairs to go to the slide, you're usually standing in line, you know, with with people right on. You're top, right. It's you know, a mass of humanity back. and they're all in bathing suits. Right. And, and I, look, right. I didn't, I didn't realize that water parks were regulated differently than actual like municipal swimming pools, but that was the thing that he said yesterday. So they, they have to create a different set of standards and rules for them and, and for amusement parks. So right, I think they're lumped in with, so he, he said the travel and tourism working group is going to continue to sort of work on how to see if those things can reopen. Well, and the, the, the problem is, is if they open at half capacity, can they make money? And so th- there's the, the questions that e- it's good that they have industry people talking to them because they can say, well, we can't open then. But but you do have basic. These things were designed in a way to make money. And if you suddenly have half your crowd, you're making less money. Be interesting to see how they come up with that. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Will Terry Pluto keep writing for Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer? I should be answering this question, but I'm going to throw it to you, Laura Johnson. <laughs> I'm telling you, this was like a great news kind of week. So the beloved sports columnist is moving to Cleveland.com along with John Coniglia, Susan Glazer, Steve Litt, and Julie Washington. And we are all really excited to have them on board. Yeah, these, I, you know, I wrote a column announcing this yesterday and I called them pillars of Northeast Ohio journalism. 
Laura and I, we both worked with John Kennedy for many years. He's just one of the, uh, he's a great news reporter. Susan Glazer has created a niche that no one's ever focused on before in Ohio-based travel. She also focuses on destinations that Ohioans go to, Disney World, North Carolina beaches. But her specialty is all the cool things you can do in Ohio. Julie Washington was one of the reporters that was laid off at the plane dealer. And I've always thought Julie is is one of the great reporters because she can do anything. She, she covers news. She writes Enterprise. She has served as an editor. Uh, and so I was instantly plotting to find a way to bring her in. And then there's Steve Litt, who is beloved with the arts audience in this town. And he's so beloved that he won the Cleveland's Arts Prize, which normally goes to artists, but they were celebrating everything he's done to bring attention to it. I was a little worried as as things got dicey at the Plain Dealer, they'd stop writing for us, Cleveland.com and in the Plain Dealers. I'm really excited that they accepted the positions. This is good news. Terry is, you know, I, I, I swear every third email I get from the public, it ends with, hey, give my regards to Terry Pluto. I mean, the guy, <laughs> I mean, he's, and, and, and people are as rabid for his sports stuff as they are for his faith in you column. He writes... You know, it's called faith in you, but it's not really about religion. It's about ethics and and decisions people make. And, you know, people that's got a huge following. So it's good news. You're right, Laura. It was a good news week to make sure they're going to continue writing. It's this week in the CLE. How many people have died in Ohio nursing homes? This is emerging as the Ohio story of the pandemic. Uh, the numbers are getting truly frightening. Chris Ranowski, we had another... Another data dump yesterday. Our reporter Rich Exner did the uh, did the story on them. What are we seeing? Yeah, so you know, much like most states around the con- country, Ohio is 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 seeing a, a, a ma- not a majority, but a, a, a significant amount of deaths in nursing homes. As of Thursday, six hundred and seventy four patients in nursing homes across the state have died of the coronavirus, and that represents forty four percent of all all deaths in Ohio overall. That's, that's just frightening. I mean, if, if that percent, I mean, that just means that the nursing homes are serious death traps in this thing. And it gets back to the question we were asking earlier this week. If we did universal testing in the prisons, why aren't we trying to do universal testing in the nursing homes? And there's a secondary factor to that. It's not just that the coronavirus is killing people in nursing homes. It's locking them in their rooms where mm-hmm. they don't have any mental engagement. And, you know, we all know that as you get older, if you don't use it, you lose it. And so anything you could do to allow them to have visitors and see people again would be a big deal. But we're not testing them. Right. This I mean, this is a, a I, I don't use this word lightly. This is a tragedy. And and it is. And it's it's just so heartbreaking. And and. I don't I don't know that we've actually properly answered this question yet. And and I think I, the the reason that it's easy for the state to go in and test all prisoners is because the state runs the prisons and the counties run the jails and and so the government can do what it wants with government stuff. I think it's a little harder when you're starting to talk about nursing homes and you know, so many are, are private. Some are privately owned, some are, you know, and and so it's I think there's some difficulty there, you know, but one thing I want to point out is that the top five counties for deaths, respectively, are Lucas, Franklin, Mahoning, 
Cuyahoga and Summit. So Northeast Ohio is up there in the top five with two counties. So, you know, it's, it's, it's bad. Hopefully they can get a hold on this because it's, I mean, that's a staggering number. Well, the Plain Dealers, John Caniglia, did a project on nursing homes a year, a little more than a year ago. He's joining the Cleveland.com team on Monday. Uh, we've already talked to him, and he is going to start digging into what's going on there and hopefully come up with some ideas for uh, for solutions. Because I, I just feel like there's not enough being reported on this, and we need to really dig in. When, when that 44% number is is staggering. So mm-hmm. look forward to seeing what John will do with that. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. All right. So we're not going to get to the final question. We're at the end of the podcast. Laura, I was going to ask you, what are 13 things you can do in this Cleveland while so- staying socially distanced? Are you going to do anything this weekend where you're staying socially distanced? Um, I think that we are going to actually pick up our puppy tomorrow. We're getting a new oh, puppy. Oh, man. So- <laughs> wow. That's my big surprise to tell you on a Friday. Wow, what so, kind? We're getting a golden retriever, oh, eight weeks old. I know, right? Puppy. Oh, I'm I know. So Some of my life is gonna be it's gonna be like a big ball of fur. I'm excited. Well, that's, that's one of the benefits of working from home is you can actually do the puppy <laughs> thing. <laughs> I was like, if we're gonna do this, let's do it now while well, we are all home. So. Oh man. Is it a male or a female? It's a boy. Wow. So. Wow, very cool. Chris, are you gonna be socially distanced this weekend? I am. I, I'm going to be socially distanced from all society by staying inside. No, uh, I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna head out to the metro parks. We. I have an old man dog, so he's 16, and and we we try to take him out to one of the metro parks and sort of let him run off leash, uh, at least a little bit every day, so he can you know experience a little freedom toward the uh, the in his in his twilight years. Well, I hope you get some decent weather. It's, it's we're supposed to get up into the I think 80s next week, so we're we're moving fully into spring. Supposed Thank- to be close to 70 and sunny on Saturday, I think. So it's your perfect day. Wow! Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the conversation, Chris and Laura. Thank you for listening to this week in the CLE. We will be back with another episode on Monday. Have a terrific weekend. <laughs>